Thank you, Gil. Okay, so we're going to see first the Midrash Rava, where it says in your handouts, Seder Miketz, letter Aleph. So the Torah says here, Vayhi Miketz Shunasayim Yomim, and it was at the end of two years, or literally two years of days. And then Paro has the dream, and of course we all know the story, Yosef is called out of prison in order to interpret the dream. And that's the end of Yosef's sentence in prison. So the Midrash quotes a pasuk from Eov. Kates sam lachoshech. Darkness has been given an end, or literally an end has been placed on darkness. Kates sam lachoshech. So the Midrash is going to look at this in two ways. One is in a global way and the other is in a more pratiistic way regarding Yosef HaTzadik. There is a certain amount of time which was given to the world, to history, how long we'll spend in darkness. So the darkness of human history has a limit. It's not just on and on and on. Kate's some la Does that mean galus? I'm sorry? Does that mean our galus? Yes. It means galus has an end, and it means our sojourn in this world has an end when Mashiach comes. The darkness of the world in general, and then, of course, the darkness of galus. Both levels. Umaitam, kate sam la So why did Hashem put an end to darkness? So the first thing you might say was, well, of course there should be an end to darkness. What's the question? My Tom, Kate Samlachosha. Why would they think that why would we think there shouldn't be an end to the darkness? Right? We we know Mashiach is coming, there's a Gaula. What what do we what's the Hava Mina? Yeah, Rebson? Oh well I mean yeah. in the sense of Mashiach, I yeah, mm-hmm. I mean I guess I would say darkness serves a purpose. Darkness serves a purpose. Okay, excellent. <laughs> and it's along those lines that we'll see this. If you move over to the right side in the Eitzchayim commentary, the Perush and the Eitzchayim, and we'll be um, Umay Taime. It's about seven lines down from the top. Umay Taame. What's the reason why there is an end to Choshech? Ritzon Olomar. This means to say, Umay Taame Spatol Haralo Asidlova. What's the reason that Ra, evil, comes to an end in the end of days? Hohat Sadikim, the Sadikim that we have, they earn, I don't have that full word there, Sachar Tov Al Yada. The Sadikim earn their reward through darkness. As people who live in this world struggle for every mitzvah that we do and for all the Torah that we learn and to live the lives that we live, Bezras Hashem, the darkness is actually increasing our sar. So maybe we should just think it should go and go and go because that's the time for Bechira. That's the time for struggling with Tov and Ra. Umashani, and we learn, because when the Yetzirahara is in the world, as the Midrash is going to say, now let's, just, now let's just jump back into the Midrash. So that's the essence of the question. Maybe there shouldn't be an end to it because we can keep earning more and more through our struggle with Ra. So back to the Midrash. 
Shakol Zaman Ofa Because when the Yetzirahara is in the world, when evil is in the world, there's darkness, there's the shadow of death in the world. Deceive Evan Ofel Vitsamovis. As it says, a stone, darkness, and the shadow of death. The stone here means the Yetzirahara. It could also mean founded on darkness and the shadow of death. When the Yetzirahara is taken away, then there's no more darkness and death in the world. Now go back to the Midrash where we just left off. Let me, let me get my Midrash on. Those words are blocked out so I can just read that fully and more correctly. I'll be filling in the words that are blocked off at the beginning of the photocopy. Because this very same Ra that allows people to earn their relationship with Hashem through their struggle, remember, after all, it's filled with darkness and death. Who koach hamavis? Shehu mishoresh hara. All of that has to do with death, and death eventually has to stop. Which is a world which is only good and fully good. So meaning what? That the idea that we gain through the darkness, that's only meant to be for a certain amount of time. And too much darkness is too much. Hashem never wanted it to go on and on and on. So it's here for a measured period of time in order for us to grow and to gain through our Bechira. But ultimately, that's all a part of death and the choice of Adam and Chav and Gan Eden. And that comes to a close when the world is mesukan, is corrected. So the question is, maybe it has its purpose. It does have its purpose. But Kate's sum lachoshach. Its purpose is with its limitations. Without limitations, just ongoing darkness forever and ever will ultimately not serve its true purpose. People will not be able to survive in such a state of history. Yeah, Redison, please. But it sounds like it's ultimately in contradiction with Tov. And that's what, which is a, an interesting thing because you can't achieve Tov without it. But what I'm hearing is that when that time comes that there's no death, then by definition you can't have Ra. Not that it would just go on, but it's, it's in contradiction. You can't have complete Tov unless there's no Ra. Right. Unless there's no darkness. Right. But you can't get to that Tov. Right. So you have to get to it. Or, but then when you get to that light, it's finished, it's over. Right. It's a process, and the process has a limited amount of time, which is the 6,000 years of history. And more than that would not be good. The idea that we have it, through it, we're able to gain Tov, but that has to come to an end. I think it has to come to an end, because otherwise you can't ever experience You can't actualize Tov that's right. complete and total. Right, tov this is the heart. absence of death and all of that. Right. This is the the Devekus that we get, that occurs in a world where there is no Ra. We can't actualize the choices, the good choices that we made here. We cannot actualize them when there's still Ra in the world. 
That's what you're saying. Okay, yeah, please. Well, I was just going to ask or say that um, also an There's an end. And in a certain way, you know, that gives us hope because we know that this is not endless, that there's a time for the Gezeira. Yeah. Someone else had a hand up? Yeah, please, Ilana. Where did um, the end of darkness come from the Pesach? I mean, I know from the word case, but what did that, why? Just the word, I mean, why? Can you get it from the word It actually says in either case, sum, la chosha. That in that, leke, in that in that second line of the midrash, from Eov Kate Sam Lachosh, that's a quote. Uh, I'm saying, where did the midrash get that from the pasuk when it's talking about Yosef? Oh, because oh, because the pasuk says Vayhi Miketz Shenasai Miyamin. So that's a little bit of an unusual word. It doesn't have to say Miketz. It could say, and it was after two years or two years lapsed. That word Miketz Shenasai Miyamin seems to imply something more. Now, if we take that a little further, Elias' question, <coughs> which is really the diuk of the Midrash, because Kates implies that from the very beginning there's an end. We might think that, okay, it played itself out and there's an end. No, what's happening here is that for the world, it's a planned out time of history and there's an end to it. That's Kates a calculated end, Mashiach will come. And as we'll see in a minute, for Yosef, his time in prison also had a limit. It wasn't meant to be forever. And he had two extra years because he put his trust in the Saramashkim, but after that, he was free. So now we're going to dovetail into that. Uh, next part of the, of the Midrash, Dover Acher, another shot, Kate Sam Lachoshech, Hashem put an end to the darkness. Zaman nosan Yosef kama shonim asurim. There was a time that was set and fixed how much time Yosef would have to be in the darkness of prison. And then that would end. Kevan once the time came to an end, that's the word kates. That's really your question, Ilana. Mahimi kates. Cholam paro chalam. Paro then dreamt his dream. Now, the Beis HaLevi has a sefer on, on Bitochon, and he writes there that we have to make sure to look at this in the right way. It wasn't because Paro had a dream that Yosef was released from prison. It was because Yosef's time was finished in prison that Paro had a dream. That's the way to look at it. And that's the idea of Kate Sam Lachosha. Hashem said to Yosef, or about Yosef, you're here two more years, when those two years are over, you're going to be out. In an instant, he's out once the Gezeira is over. So once the Gezeira concludes, Paro Cholem, Bahimi Yamim. Soon as that split second comes, not a, not a second extra, similar to Yitzhak Mitzrayim, soon as that comes, Paro Cholem, he has a dream. So that's, that's the cause and effect nature from the other way around. The time has come, so Paro dreams Yosef can come out of prison now. Now, if you apply that on a larger scale, really, to many things that occur in history and even in our own lives, 
Yosef here is an individual person, that there's a time. There's a time that we have to spend in our trials and tribulations. And when that time comes to an end, min hashamayim, then God will take us out. That's, that's going to happen. The chain of events that will lead to that will be instituted by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, just like this with Yosef. Yosef tried something to try and get out of jail. It didn't work. When Hashem says it's time, the time came. Any comments? Yeah, please, Oka. Well, if he didn't try, mm-hmm. like he got two more years. Right. So it's like almost that split second. If he was supposed to get out two years before, but right at that split second is when he tried to get out, he added two years. If he would have just waited. Right, he added two years. split second more, his time would have been up and he would have been out. That's what it seems like. It could have been out earlier, and then however Hashem would have chosen to orchestrate it, but Paro could have had his dream two years earlier. Or, or whatever, to get Yosef out of jail. And you know, the lesson of the Pesach to me is just so striking because it happens so fast. You know, when, Yos- when Yosef gets out of prison, let's see if that's here for a minute. Let's see if that's part. So the Sar Hamashkim tells Paro about Yosef. So there he is languishing away, right, for, for many years. Vaishlach Paro, and Paro sends Vayikros Yosef, and he calls for Yosef. Vayiritsuhu min habur, they rush him out of the pit, Vayigalach, they give him a haircut, Vayachalesim lasav, they change his clothing, Vayavo el Paro, boom, he's standing in front of Paro. Just like that. You know, a few words in the Torah, he is in prison, and now he's all ready to stand before Paro, ready to take his place of leadership. And when Hashem, you know, wants things to happen, that's how they happen. Like I mentioned, Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim, once that moment came, not a second longer there, we're out. Sandy, had a hand up, please. It's one of the most difficult questions that Sandy is asking, right? What about Hishtadlus and how far do you go with Hishtadlus? And the famous question which is asked here is, what's wrong with Yosef tra- trying to tell the Saramashkim to try and get him out of prison? Wouldn't we think, hey, this is an opportunity, this is Hishtadlus. Maybe I'm supposed to ask him. That, maybe that's what God wants me to do. And the Amuna Bitachon Hishtadlus dilemma is always very, very difficult. It's not precise. We have to try and make our best judgment. What the Chazonish says about Yosef answering this question, why wasn't it just an act of hishtablus, as would be expected? So you could see from the Sar Hamashkim's attitude toward Yosef when he defined him to paro, na'ar, ivri, eved, all kinds of derogatory terms that he didn't like Yosef, didn't like Hebrews. There's no way that he's going to mention him to Paro unless something extreme happens like he did. So for Yosef Hatzadik to ask the Sar Hamashkim 
according to his madrega, Yosef's madrega, that was already grasping its draws. And so hishtadlus does not mean grasping for straws. That's already taking things too far. So a reasonable hishtadlus, which each person with their own seichel tries to make, that's what Hashem wants from us. But if we overdo it, and we're just putting in too much effort, and you can sometimes tell when we're overextended into hishtadlus, and we see, I tried the best I can, now, now I need to step back. That usually, somewhere in there, is where the line is. But, as we said, that's a very hard thing to know. Yeah, Rebison, please. It sounded the way he told us, it was like Machavadik. Right. Machavadik for Yosef to ask such a person. Right, right. Not Lafi Kavodo. Another angle from a a different Midrash a little earlier. It's not just Kavodot, because he stands for... Right. Torah as well. Uh, just a different angle on, from the Midrash earlier that Hashem wanted to make it clear that he's taking Yosef out of prison, not to Sarhamashkim. So Velo Zachar, Sarhamashkim, he doesn't remember him, because it's not him who gets Yosef out of jail. So it's, it's good that he forgot him. That way it shows that it's really God running the show. Okay, that's the first part of the Midrash, and now if you go to your next uh, photocopy, next page, this is from the Sfas and I wanted to make a connection between the Parsha and Hanukkah, because we just said, that Hashem puts an end to the darkness, and a lot of the Sforim HaKadoshim quote that Pasuk in reference to Hanukkah, because it's about light in a time of darkness, so it's applied to this Yom Tif that we're currently, currently celebrating. So on this second page is Fasemis, plus you also know I had to get in a little bit of Hasidus over the course of the whole semester, I had to do that. So on the bottom right of the page where it says Hataz, where the little check is and it says Wit, Hataz Kosav Shohoyo Hanes Shenishar Pach the Taz says, what was the miracle of Hanukkah and the oil? The miracle was the fact that there even remained a pach. That in itself was a miracle. We think about the miracle that the Hashmanoim found it, and it had the seal of the Kohen Gadol. True. But the Taz says there's a miracle before that, which is that it was even there in the first place. Because they went in there with the intention of being metame everything. Timu kol hashmanim, that was their intention. So it's a nath that there even was a pach there in the first place. And then we could say, and it's a nath that they found it and it had the seal of the Kohen Gadol. So that's what the Taz writes. Now, go down one, two, three, four, five, six, six more lines, where the period is, it's four lines from the bottom, and it says, Uba Emes. Uba Emes Hanes de Hanukkah. You got that? Okay. Uba Emes Hanes de Hanukkah Chaviv Ma'od. The miracle of Hanukkah is indeed very precious and dear. The Hichiba Yaseira, and it's an extra special love that Hashem has for the Jewish people. 
Kikol Hanisim Lahatzol As Yisroel. Because if you look at the Nisim that we celebrate in general, they have to do with saving the Jewish people from destruction. Kriyas Yamsuf, all those kinds of things, Atiyas Mitzrayim, uh, Sancheirev and his whole army, when they all die in the middle of the night at the Nath, it's Hatzolas Yisroel. But this nais of Hanukkah was different. It was a nais in order for B'nai Yisroel to do a mitzvah, not to save their lives from destruction. Even though, by the letter of the law, you could say that they were exempt from the mitzvah. They were anusim, they were victims of circumstances. They fought wars against the Avanim. They were Tameh. So if people are Anusim, if we're a victim of circumstances, so you're Pater. That's the Klal in the Gemara, in the Halacha, Anusrachmana Patre. So Hashem could have said, it's okay, you're exempt. Right? You don't need, don't worry about it. But Hashem did a nace for them to show, pardon me, to show His love for them that he wants what the Jewish people do and it's precious to him. And he did a miracle so we could fulfill a mitzvah. So the miracle was not saving us from destruction. It was that the Kohanim, the Chashmonoim, were Moser Nefesh to do a mitzvah. They wanted to do it very badly, even though they were putter, they were exempt. They wanted it so badly that was very clearly precious to God. And he said, okay, I'm going to do a miracle so you can do a mitzvah. That's different than other nisim in history. As the Levush writes, that the, Hanukkah, the Yom Tov of Hanukkah was implemented by the Chachamim not for feasting, not like Purim, but rather lahalal ulahodos, to give praise and thanks to Hashem, to light the menorah. Those are all more spiritual type things. Kevan shahanes hoyal lichvod being that the miracle was lekovod shamayim, afshahoya hatzola gamkein. Now we add, you might have had this question in your mind, what about the wars, right? The victory over the Greeks. So he says, yes, there was a hatzola, the military victory was a nace, but that's secondary to the nace of Klal Yisrael wanting to do a mitzvah so badly that God allowed them to do it. This miracle of the candles is more chashuv than the miracle of the victory at war because it shows Hashem's special love for the Jewish people. Now, the Sasemitzer is bringing out a, a point which is raised often when it comes to Hanukkah. So what nace are we talking about? The military victory or the oil victory? So most of the forms say there were two nisim. There was no way that we could have won a war by the laws of nature against the Syrian Greeks. They were the powerful army of the world. The Greeks were the world power. We had a band of Kohanim. You know, impossible, impossible to win that victory. Impossible. But that was, that was an ace. 
And the nace in the Beis HaMikdash with the oil was a nace as well. Now, some people say it like this. When it comes to a military victory, you can always say, yeah, it was a long shot, but the underdog won. People can really give it a stretch. The mouse that roared, that said, play, right, about that little nation that defeats America in this war. So it could happen. So people would discount the military victory. Once there was a nace with the oil, then people understood, oh, the military victory was also a nace. Some people learned it that way. The Spicemus doesn't. He says the military victory was secondary to the nace of the Shemesh. It was an important victory, and it was a nace, but the love that Hashem showed the Jewish people because they wanted to do a mitzvah, that's the main thing. And the nace of Hanukkah is much more so about that. And hence, when we celebrate Hanukkah, it's all around the menorah, and Nisim, ala Nisim, we do incorporate the battle in there, but there's a much stronger emphasis on the Hadlokas Neros and the Nase that was done with the Shana. Yeah, please, Hoka. And with the oil, it wasn't only that it was there, but it was that they found it. I yeah. Mean, if you think about it, was so. It was impossible for them to find that. Right. They completely defiled the Vesa Mikdash, turned it upside down, were Mitame everything intentionally. Right. They were intentionally and defiling it. Small, it was a small vial, and, and it was hidden away somewhere. Right. And yeah, so they say that goes back to his pop show. I don't know how it got there. There's a story about that, but I don't, I don't remember it. So they could tell when they found it. There are many. And of course, the fact that the oil lasted was the miracle, the miracle with the oil. But finding itself, in itself, the Taz says that in itself was part of the miracle, that it was there, and you have to say that they found it. Yeah, grab some, please. It, it brings to mind for me. He wanted to fulfill Ratzon Hashem so badly by Akedah Sispa that Hashem brought this aisle. Now, I don't know, we don't say that for Nase necessarily, but the fact that he lifted up his eyes and he's looking at it, he's not just like, you know, I'm out of this one, you know, I don't have to do it. He, that loves to, do to do the Ratzon Hashem, right. so Hashem provides for him. Right. So it sounds similar like we wanted to point. do it, so Hashem... Yeah, it's, it's a very good point. Rebison's pointing out when Avram Avinu was told by the Malach not to do the Akedah, so he wanted so badly to do this mitzvah, so Hashem said, okay, let's take all of that beautiful, pure kavana that you have. Here's an aisle over there, and Hashem allows Avraham to do a korban with the aisle. Something has to happen with that pure kavana that he has, and Hashem allows it to occur. Another hand up? Okay. We'll take a look at one more mimer. We, I think we've learned this in the past because it's, to me it's one of the most powerful ma'amorim I'm aware of about Hanukkah. It's very short, but very powerful. If you go to the left side of the page where it says B'Shem HaMagid, where the arrow is, B'Shem HaMagid B'Sefer Yisrael, in the name of the Magid of Mezerich, the Magad Mezrich was the leader of the Hasidim after the Baal Shem Tov passed away. So nowadays, we light the Hanukkah candles inside, not outside. 
because in history there was a time when it became dangerous to light outside, so the poskim said, bring it inside. So the Magin wants to say there's something spiritually deeper than the Sakana reason. We know that in this long Golos we have reached a low level. That's the key phrase. The chitzonius, the outside forces that the menorah dispels and does away with, now they're inside of our house. So the menorah has to go inside. So he's saying this. It used to be, back in history, that outside the home was the chitzonius forces, meaning the evil forces. Inside the home was pure. So you put the menorah right outside your doorway to get rid of the chitzonius sticker forces, the evil forces. For halachic reasons, it became necessary to move the menorah inside. It was pikuach nefesh to have it outside. So the Magid says, in addition to that, beyond that, is that those chitzonius sticker forces crept inside the Jewish home over the course of history. And therefore, you have to have the menorah inside. So that halacha about lighting the menorah outside your house, we fulfill it by lighting it inside the house. This answers the question. The question is, how can you change that? Yes, yeah, true, but how could it be that we change the mitzvah the Bach says we don't change a mitzvah, just as in Saisid, we change the location of the mitzvah. That's how he understands it. But the Svasemis is saying from the Magad of Mezerich that it didn't really change because the idea is to drive away forces of Ra, which used to be out there. Now we have to drive them away from here. So it didn't change. We just understood it had to go inside the house. And that's the statement, Gam Bifnim Nimtza Chitonius. I think I mentioned to you before, my Rebbe, Rabbi Tversky, that's all, used to say often that you can lock the door on the culture, but it will seep in the windows. So that's the idea here. Then he says the furtherance of this concept, to ask Hashem for Rachamim, for compassion, that by asking Hashem for Rachamim, we can drive away negative thoughts, harmful thoughts that are inside of us, to separate from those harmful forces. A person must develop a strong faith in the Chachamim. Our Chachamim relied heavily on the Nes of Hanukkah, the Kavuhu Liyamim Tovim Ladoros, and they established it as a Yamta forever. So there are really three levels. There's the Ra that's outside of our homes, in the outside world. That's one. Then whatever Ra has crept inside our homes. Then whatever Ra has crept inside of us. So all three levels he addresses. The menorah outside, the menorah inside, 
Well, how do you get the menorah inside of yourself, right, without, without swallowing it, right? How do you do that? So he says, you have to be mevakesh rachamim. For mevakesh rachamim for Hashem, that, that same koach of driving away ra, please Hashem, help me have that inside of me. Those neros chanukah should shine inside of me, inside of us, to get rid of those kochos hurrah. And the Chachamim saw Hanukkah's such a powerful time of light that for us to be so mechanet, he says, we should rely on it, we should bank on it, that this is really going to help us in parts of our life where we need to shed a great deal of light. Yeah, grab it in, please. So I was thinking that I used to, like, that resonated with me, but I think, you know, there was never a time that the Yitzhahara, since Adam and Chava internalized that Yitzhahara, it never was that it was only out there. It was always inside. Right. So that's curious to me to say that, that it, you know, the only thing I, I was thinking that that Pach Shemen, Rabbi Tursky said, represents this place within the Jew. Right. That is never, has never, never been corrupted. Time. So that is the time of Kodam Hachet. And that's maybe what we're trying to get in touch with and bringing out from within ourselves. And that is really the light that pushes all that darkness, all that Kitsonis. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, Rabbi Twersky Zatzal and the Sfasemis, one of his Ma'amorim, interesting, they said really quite similar things a uh, hundred years apart, that the Pach Shemen that we found represents the inner purity of every Jew, that we all have the Pach Shemen inside of us. And no matter how much you know, the forces of the world try to corrupt the Jewish people, there's always a part of us which is completely pure and unfazed and untouched by, that, by those forces. That's the Pach Shemen. Now also, regarding the first question Rebison raised, there's always been Ra, outside, inside. I think it's a matter of degree. Yeah, of course there's always been Ra. It's, there's never been such a stark line that it's out there and it's not here. But over the course of Golus, that starts to go like this. You know, the, the whole idea of the sanctity of the home, which we treasure so much as, as Jews, has been invaded much more so than it used to be. Not that it was ever 100% clear. Yeah. So I was saying that it's not that you could swallow the menorah, but that you could reach Access. out and shine that forth. Very good. Access your own Pach Shemin. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Gail, please. Could you speak a little about the Kavanas we could have while watching the lights? Okay, well, this is, this is one, one I, would, I would recommend. Right, right out of this Fasamis, to say it to Sila, to our Kaddish Baruch Hu, in front of the menorah, that he should help us drive away the darkness in our life. Just like he says, internal, in our home, in the world, please Hashem, through the, the power, the zechus of Ner Hanukkah, to drive that away. Other tefillos are for Torah. We should have children who are Tamidich Hachamim and Banim and Banos, Oskin Matorah Mitzvos because the light of the menorah represents the ore of Torah Sheba Alpeh. So we want to have that. Another kavan is for Kedusha and Tahara, because the Hashmonoim were Kadosh Kadoshim and they were Tahorim. So those connections and those kinds of tefillahs are very appropriate. 
And of course for Geula, Geula Shlema, because uh, taking us back to the beginning, Kate Sam Lachoshech, this darkness that we live in has an end. And the Nehru of Hanukkah kind of touches on, on Geula, so it's a very appropriate time. Elka, yeah, please. Outside, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's a holy land, right? It's a holy right, place, right? right, right. They, don't, they don't have to bring their menorah inside. Obviously, they have their own, everybody has their own issues to deal with, you know. But true, primarily they light outside. It's a makam kadosh, kadosh asor. Yeah, please, Aviva, yeah. Right. Was, was, it, was that because of the fear of the Goyim? Yes, yes it was. And the Mishra and other posts bring down that if, if you have the ability to light it in a window, it's a good thing because at least the idea of publicizing the miracle, Pursume Nisa, can be accomplished by putting it in the window. But the more prevalent minhag amongst many Yidin, myself included, is to put it in a doorway. I put my menorah in the doorway between our living room and our dining room on the opposite side of the mezuzah. That's inside my house. It's not in the window. But if there are other people lighting in the house, like our, our kids when they were growing up and now our youngest, so I have them put it in the window so we can do that as well. So elu elu, whichever is the minhag that you follow, they're both, they're, both, uh, they're both proper to light it in the window or to light it in the doorway. Either one is good. I wanted to share a story with you, um, which we saw yesterday, about an amazing thing that happened with the funeral of Moran Harav Steinman. So I went to the to the yeshiva to Nei Yisrael at the on that day, and the Rosh Hashiva Rafelman was saying words of kavod for Rav Steinman. He had explicitly written, he wants no hespedim. So the Rosh Hashiva was talking about him in a way which was not Baderach hesped. And one of the things that he said was that Rav Steinman said that it would be fine if there would just be 10 people at his kavura. Just 10 people, a million of people at his burial. That, that would be just fine. So 500,000 people came. And that's how it should be, because the Golob Yisrael should have hundreds and thousands of people at his Levaya. But this is a story that we saw yesterday. Maybe you saw it too. The police and the security people were very concerned about crowd control. That's several hundred thousand people in a very small place. And perhaps you remember at the funeral of an Adam Godel a year or two ago, somebody was trampled to death in Eretz Yisrael. So they thought about this in advance, the police and the security people, and they made a huge effort to go about this in a way for their reasons, proper reasons, to make sure everybody was safe. So they had this convoy of cars and ambulances where his body was in one of them, and they had the words that were spoken in his honor, and toward the end of that, nobody knew about this, the ambulance that had his body in it drove away. 
and it drove away, and the people were finishing up the Leviah, and nobody knew this. And it was all for the sake of safety. Then, when they got to the cemetery, that first group of people, Ruther Steinman, everybody else was way far behind, which is how they wanted it to happen. And they buried Rav Steinman with 30 people. And there's a picture with on Yeshiva World News. Someone must have been standing in the building that you could, overlooking the cemetery. And you see a small group of people around his kever burying him. So we were thinking, isn't that amazing? He got his wish. He, got, he said, there should be 10, 10 people at my kavura. That's the words of a tzaddik. But for there to be 10 people at his funeral, that would be horrible. That's not kavod ha-Torah. So Hashem orchestrated things in such a way that it all worked out. He had 500,000 people at his, at his funeral and 30 people at his burial. You know, both parts of that were fulfilled. The words of a tzaddik don't go unfulfilled, and neither does the covenant of a tzaddik as well. Yeah, the point of its cemetery right there in B'nai Brak. Yeah. So, you know, it was the, the police and the security, they were thinking their cheshbonos about crowd control, which I feel was absolutely right in light of what happened a while ago. And Hashem thinking his cheshbonos, or Steinman has his cheshbonos, and it all ends up with a great kavod for him and also the simplicity that he, that he wanted at the same time. And a lichtig and a freilich and Hanukkah to everybody. We'll see you Bezras Hashem next week. We have one more class for this semester. Yeah. Yeah, next year. A couple of weeks later, I think. Thought you were just going to skip something. Want to give that to you? Have a great day.